This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. Democratic presidential candidate Bernie Sanders has touted for some time now a plan that he says will improve health care overall in the United States. He has referred to it as Medicare for all. One of the concerns moving forward is a potential rise in uninsured Americans with health coverage. The goal of Medicare for All is to, by design, make sure that everyone can get coverage. But is it a plan that can work? The Penn Wharton budget model took a deeper dive into the numbers around the plan to see if it can. Ken Smetters is faculty director of the Penn Wharton budget model, as well as a professor of business economics and public policy here at the Wharton School. And you also hear him as host of Your Money every Tuesday at 5 p.m. here on Sirius XM 132. Good to see you. Good to be here. You are keeping very busy with all this political <laughs> stuff right yeah. now. Well, we're non-political ourselves, but with yeah. the analysis of it, sure, yeah. So, so give us the overview uh, of the plan first, the idea, and we'll get yeah. into your your uh, your findings in a second. Yeah, at a high level, the, the Sanders bill, which he introduced last year, is really to, which calls Medicare for All of 2019, uh, is to have workers uh, be part of the Medicare system. Uh, and so you would get rid of, uh, under his bill, the employer-based uh, healthcare system, and everybody would then fall under Medicare to try to take advantage of some of the lower administrative costs in, in the Medicare system. So it would no longer be employer based, and the healthcare would uh, it would be extended to everybody. Mm-hmm. So almost everybody would be covered, unlike the ten percent that are currently uncovered by any source of healthcare, whether it be Medicare, Medicaid, or employer based insurance or the exchanges. And so, uh, but then he adds other things into it, things like expansion of benefits. It's dental, long-term care, things like that. And so when you think about some of the issues that are out there, specifically the one around long-term care is a topic that's been talked about a lot lately because you're seeing more and more, well, with the baby boomer generation getting older, the expectation you'd have more health issues with older people. You're going to see more people in health facilities, and you're also having the impact of the children of these people having right. to take time or take care of these individuals. Yeah, long-term care is a tough issue because what happened in 2008, uh, a lot of the long-term care uh, policies were no longer uh, offered. A lot, of, a lot of big providers pr- pulled out of the private market, uh, and, and MetLife, MassMutual, and lots of others. And so, uh, as a result, we only about 7% of the population currently has a private insurance for long-term care. Long-term care's bigger uh, uh, funder right now is the Medicaid system. Yeah. Um, in order to have that, uh, to qualify for long-term care on the Medicaid, though, your, your non-housing assets have to be pretty low. Your income has to be pretty low. So this greatly expands that benefit, and you don't have to have those same income and asset tests to qualify. But it is for home-based care. It Correct. would not cover institutional care like nursing home. All right. So overall, yeah. when when Bernie Sanders comes out with this plan, obviously it draws a lot of attention. Sure. But you note know that that he really didn't get into the funding component right. of how his plan would work. Yeah, there's there's a lot of you know interesting uh, issues here. So the plan really does take advantage of the much lower administrative costs that you have in the Medicare uh, systems. Uh, So if funded uh, in a very efficient way, it could actually, despite its cost, its price tag, it could actually lead to uh, positive economic growth, especially 
if he if you just focus on the Medicare as it is today, not expand all the, all the benefits to long term care, dental, and so forth, uh, which the bill currently does. Uh, and in that case, you could actually have a a, a, a pretty nice expansion of, of the economy. Mm-hmm. But the funding um, mechanism is really important, as it's literally written today. There is no funding mechanism in his bill, and so uh, uh, as a result of that, it would be all spending that therefore would add to the deficit. Yeah. And so uh, if it's deficit financed, um, GDP within 40 years, we project will actually decline by 24%, uh, a very large decline wow. just because of all the added debt. Now, as a presidential candidate, he has said that there probably would be new taxes yeah. involved. Yeah. So it would not be deficit finance. He hasn't spelled that out, what those are. So we do different runs, and we show, depending on how you finance it, has a dramatic impact on the success of, of, of the plan. Is that the biggest component that, that, that's still kind of left out there with, with not enough information at this that, point? That is right. It is, it, it, for a lot of things, it, it, you know, it's the plan design that matters a lot. It's not necessarily how it's funded. This is the only in my all my years of doing public policy uh, research, I've never seen a plan where the funding mechanism right. could it can impact it this dramatically, up to a quarter of all GDP um, within 40 years. And so, uh, right now, the type of mechanisms that we talk about in the report uh, that would actually help generate positive GDP are not being discussed in the campaign trail. There's analogies to it in other countries uh, right now. Uh, what we call the premium financing. Uh, uh, approach, uh, but we uh, do what's called payroll tax financing. It looks a little closer to what people are used to, yeah. um, and show that that would still have a pretty negative impact on, on the economy. So uh, the, the trick about Medicare for All is that it, it can actually do a lot of things where it could r- radically lower the uninsured rate, because we're actually pro- projecting that 10% today is actually going to go up in the future. There's going to be more people uninsured on the current law yeah. um, than we see today. So it can radically reduce that it can improve health. We show it increases life expectancy by about two years on top of what uh, would otherwise happen, on top of the increase in life expectancy that otherwise would have happened. So it can do uh, increase productivity, even increase the population size by 3% because of fewer people dying as quickly. But, but the funding <laughs> and, mechanism. And that's a big but. Right yeah, the there, big right? but there is the macro effects, and you got to get the funding, you know, tied down uh, 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 much more cl- uh, clearly. So I, I guess then there is optimism uh, uh, about the potential of this plan. And again, yeah. you have to, I guess, take it with a grain of salt at this point right. until, as you, we both said, until you figure out what that funding mechanism is. It, it, it's all kind of it's all kind of a moot point right now. Yeah, there's there's significant potential in terms of lots of health demographics getting the uninsurance rate down to basically close to zero. Um, again, improvements in life expectancy and lots of uh, uh, potential. And and, and, and if, if designed well, the, these lower overhead costs uh, can actually mean yeah. um, resources are now not not wasted as much. And so this could, if designed well, could would actually lead to positive economic growth. Um, the key about it is all about the design of the financing. So uh, going to the taxes side uh, of this for a second, yeah. and, and obviously anytime you use that word, yeah. you get a kind of a visceral reaction from yeah. a lot of people, whether it's right. healthcare taxes, you know, in general taxes. Yeah. Having a plan that would be based off of some sort of payroll tax right. that would be included in, 
the consumer would be paying something for it. That's right. I but, mean, but probably would be paying. I'm guessing would they be paying less than what they are, what they're probably paying right if, now? If you don't include the expansion of benefits like right. the long term care and the dental and so forth, yes, the answer is yes, they would be paying less. But here is the key um, point. It's not the total outlays that matter. It's the connection between what you pay and what you get. So what we talk about in the report are what's called premium financing. That's closer to what actually happens today. And that is if you were to quit your job and not, you know, uh, pay your uh, health care insurance premium, um, you would lose that benefit. So there's a direct connection. So we don't really think of that as a tax. It's not really distorting your economic activity. Uh, But when it comes to the payroll tax financing, um, that's it seems like it should be similar because both cases it would be deducted from your paycheck. But with payroll tax financing, you get the benefit even if you quit your job, you could actually yeah. avoid the pain and still get your benefit. By the way, we think of Social Security as being payroll tax finance. That's actually it's actually closer to premium finance because if you actually were to uh, quit your job and, and not pay your payroll taxes on on the Social Security, you're actually not going to get those benefits in in the future as well. Um, this is an example, though, of a benefit that you would get even if you did not uh, uh, pay into the system. And that's where the big distortions come along. But we show how to, uh, so we don't offer policy recommendations, that's not what we do, but if you wanna talk about what's a fix to uh, to it, uh, this premium financing where uh, uh, most people pay the same premium, lower income people would be subsidized by Medicaid, the Medicaid would pay most of the premium uh, uh, under this, this, this scenario, and it has a dramatic impact. Uh, on the economics. You're talking about uh, an idea, and this, again, is such a kind of a grand idea that there are so many elements of it that that, that still need to, you mentioned the tax, uh, the funding part of it, but also the current system that we have in place right now and being able to shift from one to the other, and obviously the reaction of all of the different insurance companies and, oh, yeah. and all of that element, yeah. which obviously they would probably not be happy about. Yeah, and part of the plan is actually to uh, um, ban Medi- Medicaid, uh, Medicare Advantage, uh, the, what's called the uh, managed plans, which are becoming much more popular uh, over time. So it would only be a fee-for-service, kind of traditional Medicare sure. uh, uh, model. And so that certainly is going to be... Uh, it can, to some controversy, but we can take cues from other countries. There are other countries that technically are not single pair, they're what we'll call multi pair countries like Germany, Japan, and so forth. You still pay an insurance premium, everybody's covered. Mm-hmm. You still pay an insurance premium if you can't afford it, the government subsidizes that, that premium. Um, but it there's a still a, everybody you can't avoid paying the premium sure. just by quitting your job. Um, and so, as if you quit your job, of course, you become poor enough, then the government subsidizes that premium. Premium. But in those countries, you actually do have what we're calling premium financing here. It's technically multi-pair because you're paying it to an insurance company, but it has all the advantages of the single pair, much lower overhead costs. One, wow. one, one, the government's always processing all those claims and doing the approvals, much like Medicare today. Which is interesting because, uh, obviously, I think when the narrative has been brought forth about Healthcare in Europe and yeah. other parts, specifically the UK, there's so much talked about the the aggravation and the dealing yeah. with it and well, and getting the process and seeing a doctor and, and all there, this. There's a lot of truth to that. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. Yeah. But in terms of what you're talking right net right there about, you can't avoid the premium. Yeah. 
Yeah. So to a degree, it is kind of a, a is it kind of like a federal tax that that you are paying? You're paying it to the insurance company, but it's coming basically from the government. Yeah, but the key difference between that and the payroll tax is that um, with the payroll tax, you could actually avoid paying the tax and still get the benefit. Yeah. Suppose that you're the secondary earner in your family and you say, well, if I'm going to get this benefit anyway, I don't have to work for it anymore. Yeah. Um, and I will just quit my job. I'll still get the benefit. So I'll be paying less into this. And that's where that distortion comes from If from the, using payroll taxes. Unlike premiums, everybody has to pay. It's a mandatory. Uh, uh, system and that's the it's, it's a subtle difference but that uh, lack of linkage between what you pay and the benefits you receive in the payroll tax has big economic impacts. Going back to something you said a moment ago and, and it caught my attention when I, when I went through the report earlier today is that this is such a, a unique set of circumstances at play here yeah because as you alluded to earlier, if you go one way with this, you could be looking at a significant negative to GDP. If you go another yeah. way with this, you could be looking at a marginal positive right. with this. I've never seen a public policy, uh, and I've dealt with them all, tax reform, Social Security, um, and lots of other policies that had this big of an impact on GDP. You know, normally, economists get excited when we're talking about 1%, 2%, 3% uh, change in GDP. <laughs> yeah. When you're talking about a quarter of all GDP. 25%. 25%, depending on the plan design. Um, you know, it, nothing's come close to that in my entire kind of research career. So getting the details right is becomes really important here. It, it, and again, this may be more on the policy side, but I, I think if you're thinking about some of these components that, that you mentioned, the add-ons yeah. that, that Senator Sanders has been talking about, dental care is one thing. Right. But that, That's small. But yeah. it, Right. But, but that that other element that we talked about yeah. before with health care for older individuals and yeah. taking care of them, that's a much bigger piece. Yeah, in some ways, that it, it, even though that's in his bill, that's not really Medicare for All. That's just expansion of the current Medicaid yeah. uh, uh, system. Medicare for All was this idea of, you know, we already have Medicare for retirees. Just expand that system to cover all workers. So it's one platform one system to cover uh, all workers. And so the, the, the long-term care component really is you know, kind of a separate piece that happened to be put in this, uh, at this bill. And that is a you know, fairly expensive uh, uh, component. So in all the, given that there's no connection, that's not, it's typically utilized by retirees who are already covered by Medicare. And he's given us no financing mechanism for that yeah. piece. We just assume that's debt finance and that does lead to, you know, negative impact. I would imagine then with, again, still a lot of the questions still to be determined here, uh, the, 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 the financing element, that because of some of the issues not tied to this, but just in general, mm -hmm. with the size of the deficit already, right, right, right. That, that I would think that the deficit spending, you know, tying this to deficit spending would be maybe one of the the lower options on the totem on the totem pole. Yeah, and that's but that is literally how his bill is written at this point. Um, and so if you had put a gun to my head and said, okay, you actually score his bill, yeah. it, it, there's no choice. We us in the Congressional Budget Office would make the exact same uh, decision that if you don't tell us how it's financed, it therefore just adds to the deficit. Yeah. Um, and so that w it would be deficit finance. But you know, as a candidate, he has mentioned that taxes would probably go up even on the middle class. And so he hasn't pinned down what that is. 
but he uh, is, so we uh, we you look at payroll tax. You could have also looked at income tax, wealth taxes, things like that. Yeah. The payroll tax is probably the most favorable one of the tax taxes that you could do. Premium financing is is you know uh, again looks and feels at first glance like payroll. But that subtle difference actually adds up to big money where uh, you have to pay it, and 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 it's it's uh, uh, subsidized for lower income people by by the Medicaid system. So in, I, in our analysis, I guess we're in a little bit of to be continued on this right now, right? It is, and then you know you brought up some issues of the experience in Europe, and it's true, it hasn't been a silver bullet there. In fact, they yeah. reprivatized parts yep. of their systems there, yep. and like in Austria, you can actually you know you got the basic system, but then you can add in private insurance again, which would be banned under the under the the Sanders approach. And so, um, you know, there's there's lots of things to keep us busy here for the next several years. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there is. And by the way, for anybody that would like to read their analysis, it is up on the Penn Wharton Budget Model website right now, which is budgetmodel.wharton.upenn.edu. It is literally right there on the front page of the website, and it is a great read. and And it really does break down some of the numbers and, and and uh, I should also say, go to that website as well, because we've talked with Kent about the wealth tax. There are so many different policy uh, options that they have looked at uh, scoring it, and, and it is a great website for you to check out. And uh, you're back on the air here on Tuesday. That's right. With your show, Your Money, at That's 5 right. p.m. Eastern yeah, Time. As yeah. always, great to see you, Kent. Thanks great for to coming see you in. Too, Thank, Thank you. Thanks for having me. Kent Smetters uh, from the Wharton School, and as we mentioned, uh, every Tuesday night at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, host of Your Money. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.